Hello, I'm Luke and welcome to episode three of the Dialed In podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by James Wilkinson from the Green Coffee Collective slash Omwani Coffee um, and we'll be chatting in a moment about uh, all the fantastic work he does. Uh, of course, Green Coffee Collective are our fantastic sponsors for this series of the podcast as well. So as you've probably heard me talking about before, they're a great resource for uh, roasters wanting to who want to buy smaller quantities of green coffee um, from really good sources. And they work with producers across the world, um, allowing um, yeah, roasters to buy coffee in, in just uh, small quantities of just 5 kg. So uh, really great. While I've got you, uh, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about the Kent Coffee Festival. So coming up in just over two weeks' time, um, this this year taking place in uh, Dreamland in Margate, uh, right by the sea. So very nice on the 19th and 20th of November. Um, we've got a, a roaster zone. There's a latte art demos. There's an exhibition. We've got a batch brew bar. We've got espresso martini bar. We've got talks. Um, it's going to be really great fun. I'll be there with the, the garage team. Um, so if you like Kent and you like coffee and you really like festivals, then the Kent Coffee Festival is a bl- great place for you to go. Um, tickets are on sale now, so head to the website kentcoffeefestival.co.uk to pick them up. Anyway, let's crack on. It's time for the podcast. Uh, hello, James. Nice to nice to see you today. Nice to see you too, Luke. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, very good, thank you. Uh, James is joining us from uh, Armani Coffee slash Green Coffee Collective. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about about those two? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, guess, I guess I'll start with with Omani because that was kind of what came first. Armani uh, Coffee is a, a green coffee sourcing partner. My background is is working in, in Uganda, um, buying and processing coffee and then and then exporting it so but then selling to other companies um and then at around about the time i was trying to move back to the uk wanted to start something that could enable me to be in the uk so omani was created which actually means coffee in the local dialect in uganda where the washing station was that i worked at and and and, and so to to carry on from there like that's so that's how omani started it was a, a way of sort of bringing across those ugandan coffees that i was used to sort of buying and processing and marketing it to the UK and, and to Europe. Um, that was sort of a purely it. How do I stay connected with the producers and the farmers that I've been sort of working with for a couple of years? So um, we started Omani. And then I guess the Green Coffee Collective, to fast forward a couple of years, one of the things that we noticed in the UK, uh, there was sort of other like-minded businesses like Omani who were sort of focused on one area or region or, or sort of had very similar values. And... It was about the idea was like, well, how do we start something where we can all work together? Because there's a lot of talk around sort of collaboration. We wish we had a lot of similar customers who quite liked what we were all doing. So let's bring it all together and sort of market our coffee together under under one roof. And that was a premise for the Green Coffee Collective, really. Yeah, fantastic. So how did you um, how did you get into green coffee in the first place, James? You you know, we often I often meet baristas and people working in the industry on the kind of customer facing side of things but it's quite a different thing to get into going to origin and working with um with with, with farmers how did you get into it and what, what what's that background about <laughs> yeah no um it's it is one of those i feel very fortunate when i think about it and i guess it didn't occur to me at the time but one of my very close friends from school um very passionate about agriculture he studied agriculture at, at Reading university and, and always had the sort of i don't know he, he always wanted to go and work in tropical agriculture um 
Now, there was a connection to Uganda. His parents had lived and worked in Uganda, um, and they'd actually worked at a rural development center, which essentially was a, a farm attached to a hospital. Um, and, and through that connection, Johnny got the chance to say, go and go and check out the farm, go and work over in Uganda, see what it was all about. And he had this idea, I think from working on the farm, sort of realized that a lot can be done to help and, and, and make a big difference with some, some of the things that he'd learned and, and practiced sort of through university. And, and the idea came, well, if we can work with, say, one farm in one rural area, can we work across uh, multiple farms? So I guess mm. the, the intro to coffee wasn't from a coffee perspective. It was from a farming or an agricultural perspective. Um, yeah. And where this rural development center was, was in the Renzori Mountains. And it just so happened that everybody was growing coffee, but no one was really mm. taking it seriously. And when I say no one's taking it seriously, there wasn't any sort of there wasn't any sort of processes there or anyone looking to to advance the processing it was just a a, a crop that you you harvested and then you sold there was nothing more mm. to it and that's how i got into it i got into it through johnny who was sort of looking at ways to improve agriculture in in the renzoris which is the region in the in the west of uganda mm. fantastic so did you work in agriculture in the uk before that no not exactly i, I guess my my background i've got I come from a deepest, darkest space of, of East Yorkshire where there's a lot of farming and uh, um, yeah. I've always always enjoyed agriculture and, and, and sort of my you know, my, my, my dad worked in in, in pigs and, and um, he went to agriculture university college and, and I had as as my mum. So I've always had that sort of background. Um, mm. but never really been a do you know what I mean? Like never sort of never worked on a farm or, or studied it. It was just something I was always interested in. And I guess the, the agri business side of it really interested me. And, and, mm. and how all that works so yeah i think the the chance to go and work in uganda was quite appealing it was i sort of saw it as a chance sort of post university to do something a bit different i was very lucky yeah. and, and and that's kind of how it all sort of tied in it was never a planned oh i like coffee you know I, if i'm really honest like coffee wasn't really an interesting drink to me it, it certainly is now but at the time no not so much yeah so did you um kind of discover specialty coffee through this whole process so you went out to uganda and, and met farmers and saw the farms and, and, and looked at the agriculture there was it then you were like oh i'm you know let's let's get them growing really good quality stuff and, and market it towards speciality yeah i think i think what actually happened and, and i guess it, the, the term specialty really hadn't sounds ridiculous but it hadn't really sort of came across our our paths as such we hadn't we didn't really know what they're saying that the, that that word meant, and and what actually at the time was happening. We were seeing lots of coffee that was just been picked, not harvested really well, not harvested particularly well. So we were just looking to buy green coffee from farmers and and supply it to an, an exporter. That was the sort of original premise, and then we we sort of sent some coffee samples um, to an exporter who then sold them into Japan, mm. and this buyer was really interested in the, in the cut profile. And they said there's there's loads of potential. Can we try and improve it? Can you do something? Because we really like these sort of fruity, juicy naturals. Um, and it was it was sort of through those sort of basic conversations that we kind of realized, ah, oh, if we if we help blood processing side, we can improve the quality. And and that's kind of where the conversation came. So we started buying coffee as cherries and, and, and started doing some of our own processing and really basic stuff like if we turn the coffee regularly on the drying beds, if it's process well if it's not you know if it's if it's looked after it doesn't get sort of chucked in bags or you know not not like what you probably hear about and read about today in, in terms of like the advanced processing going on we're, we're talking sort of just processing the coffee well and and, and mm. we got some wonderful feedback on the naturals that we're producing 
and people were offering very good prices for this coffee. And that's kind of where the conversation came in around uh, around sort of like the you know specialty and and, and yeah. what that actually meant. And and, and that's when we realised actually if we can really hone in the processing and and produce something that's consistent but has got a point of difference, then then there could be something could be something here. That makes yeah, sense, and amazing. I realise it's yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's it's amazing to hear it all, and it must have been quite a, a daunting process when you've you've gone through that, and then you're kind of getting it out of the country, and you're trying to get it into the UK. That must have been quite a, like a nervy um, episode when you did that for the first time. Well, I think what was interesting about and, and and you know ignorance is bliss, I guess, but like I was when 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 I decided to start Omani or, or set up Omani in the UK. Uh, I, I thought, well, we've got amazing naturals because we've had loads of good feedback. When I was doing some research, I wasn't really seeing Ugandan coffee on on websites, or when I say websites, on specialty coffee roasters, you know, offer lists. And I thought, there's something here to be had. Like it's it's a bit of a an unknown unknown product. You see, Kenyan coffee, see Ethiopian coffees, Rwanda, mm. etc. You know, do you know what I mean? But you never really see Uganda. So I was quite excited by the opportunity, um, but on the same time, I think. Because of those really sort of basic or lack of good uh, good quality control, lack of good processing, there was a reason that those Ugandan coffees weren't always being seen on in, in the UK, and and, and that yeah. was and that kind of that sort of took me by surprise. I, I thought me coming across and sort of banging the drum about these amazing quality Ugandan coffees, everyone would straight away sort of turn to them, but it actually took quite a lot of convincing, and I guess people wanted to see or, or taste them and, and 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 were slightly hesitant at first, you know. Mm. That was that I wasn't expecting, but maybe that was that was like I say naivety um, on, yeah. on my side. Yeah, I, I imagine that people and uh, roasters have got a lot more kind of um, perceptive to new origins and emerging um, countries now because there was a time where it was all kind of Brazil's, Colombians, Kenyans, and the kind of big big names in coffee. Um, but now there's so many more emerging markets. Um, have you seen that change from kind of people being much more receptive to taking it on? Definitely, no, and I think it's really interesting. I think it's, I guess, like anything, any any business, an element of trust comes into it as well. And um, if you if you bang the drum enough, I guess people start paying like paying attention. And to be fair, at the time, the quality that we thought was really good compared to some of the other coffees in the UK, maybe it wasn't quite as good as we thought. So um, mm. it, it did take a bit of time to sort of, I guess refine the quality processing that bit more and and get it to the same standards if not better than what was was there already but yes as like, like you say when you've got those sort of um resident names or countries that people are buying coffees yeah. from it was very hard to convince why not look at another option as well why not look at a ugandan and that was that was interesting but you're right i think that alongside other other like companies similar to omani that are starting to bring coffees from lesser known lesser well-known origins has made a big yeah. difference and there's maybe a sort of appetite from roasters to sort of stray away from your your, your sort of standard list, if you will, yeah. and and start trying them because there's interest. I think there's understanding now that there's actually a lot more coffee out there, and there's huge potential if it's if it's done well, and that's yeah. that's exciting. That's that's good for these sort of only a good thing for the for the industry, I think. Absolutely, and that links nicely into the Green Coffee Collective, who um, we we've kind of come about, come across through you, James, and, and work with some of the other um, organisations who are part of it. Um, how, how did you start working with the various organisations in the Green Coffee Collective? Yeah, no, it's um, 
I guess with the Green Coffee Collective, what, one of the many things I love about this industry is it's very friendly and open. And I, I think you know, we'll come on to it later, you know, things like the regional festivals where everyone's coming together and working together. That's something I love about this industry. And, and I guess from spending time in the UK, speaking to customers or potential customers, uh, you start hearing these other names. Oh, you're quite similar to so-and-so from, I mean, and I could reference some, yeah. there's, there's Cash Organics, there's, there's Indochina, like you should speak to, Christian Shirani, you should speak. To, mm. You should speak to to Anna from Mio Coffee. There was these names started coming up, and 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 eventually through uh, the shows and the, the the main events like the London Coffee Festival, you start you start bumping into them, um, yeah. and 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 it was really interesting speaking to them. We all had these sort of similar challenges where people were really interested in our products, but trying to compete with say some of the the bigger importers was was always a challenge because we were only offering coffee from one area or one or one region. Um, and, and, and I kind of had this idea like you know this is an industry where people talk about collaboration and working together could we do something where we actually work together start a brand that sort of brings organisations and companies or, or importers and producers who effectively are in competition but actually let's let's work together and, and, and sort of market our coffees together so that we have an offering that sort of spans very, all, all the all the different countries that sort of produce coffee in or, or what's available from these companies so that's kind of how it happened? It was just biological talking to people and and a, a base. I've got this idea. Can we sell our coffee together? Um, we'll we'll take the we'll take on the management of it to get it off the ground. We'll start with small quantities to make it easy to you know to, to courier out to people. But it was as simple as that. And and I think people quite sort of taken by the idea. And I think when like as you know, Luke, when you when you start a business or you start selling coffee, it's quite risky. So yeah. I guess people are quite. Uh, you know they're open to risk and and me saying send us a couple of bags of your coffee we'll we'll break it down to five kilo bags and then we'll sell it on for us yeah kind of i think people just open to it and that yeah makes sense let's let's give it a go so it was it was really as simple as that absolutely i mean i know you know like day the first week of, of starting a coffee roastery and then you've got a pallet of coffee that turns up that costs you three grand or something you're like oh my god how am I going to turn this into <laughs> it's going to take me ages yeah. I know the, the first pallet of coffee I had I was probably going to sit in on for six months just to try and get it through and you know selling it at, at markets and stuff so to be able to buy in small quantities is, is a great uh, selling point how have you found kind of roasters uh, responding to that and, and presumably do you get like um, people who are roasting coffee at home interested as well or so I guess that's probably the bit that I missed. I think as well, one of the reasons for starting it was, as you've just said, when you're starting a roastery and you've got to buy uh, buy coffee and the cost of logistics are expensive, it's quite a daunting task to buy a pallet load or you ring mm. a, a big import and they go, oh, our minimum order quantity is five bags and that's, you know, 300 kilos of coffee. It's a lot of coffee. And and yeah. so that's why it kind of made sense. Let's try and... Let's try and appeal to these startup roasters. Let's appeal to roasters, the existing roasters that don't, that need coffee, but they don't need a huge amount of it. You know, we'd, we'd also had inquiries where people said, oh, do you sell in 30s? Do you sell in 30 kilo bags or sell in 20 kilos or whatever? So mm. um, that was kind of the idea. So the kind of customers that we were getting, yeah, like we, there's one or two home roasters, but I think there's a lot of sort of small like roasting enthusiasts that sort of do it as a part-time and then we're, what we're also starting to see now is, is existing roasters or when I say existing roasters ro- like coffee roasters that have been around for many years um, starting to sort of use it and, and, and we changed the concept so you can buy up to say 20 kilos so you could you know coffee comes minimum order quantity is like 5 kilos but you can order up to say 20 and that yeah. works quite well say yeah. for 
uh, a roaster that might have a small subscription list and they want to find an alternative coffee to put on their subscription. So it, it's we don't quite know where it's we've got an idea where it's going, but it, I think what's quite nice is it's evolving a lot, and, mm. and it's the offering on how we market those coffees is 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 changing. So yeah, it, it really does span a range of, of clients, and we haven't quite worked out where that sweet spot is yet, but we're just sort of trying to keep it relevant and, and keep it sort of moving forward, I guess. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great concept, and I say I wish I wish it was around when I started because uh, <laughs> it would be great to turn the coffees over quicker as well. Because for a, like a start, as someone who's starting, or you say has a small subscription list, you know you don't want subscribers who are drinking the same coffee for half a year. So you want to be able to offer more interesting things for them. So no, it's a great idea. This podcast is sponsored by the Green Coffee Collective, a community of speciality green coffee sourcing partners, processors and farmers who've come together from all corners of the coffee producing world with a collective purpose to support early stage roasters, whilst at the same time promoting transparent trade. The way they work means that speciality roasters can access their coffees in five kilo quantities, which is particularly great for roasters who are just starting out. I know this would have been a resource I'd have loved when I was starting out roasting. Connecting growers and consumers is invaluable, so we're pleased to be working with the Green Coffee Collective and showcasing what they do. You can check them out by visiting their website, greencoffeecollective.com, or have a look at their Instagram, at Green Coffee Collective. Now, back to the podcast. So, so kind of the, the last two maybe three years has been a bit of a kind of strange roller coaster starting with brexit then covid and and now where we are what's what's changed really in, in your industry in your kind of side of the things what's what's the fundamental changes to how you operate yeah it's been it's been really interesting We're, there's been so many changes and i guess something that when when we started omani the plan was to spend as much time back in uganda as possible and 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 sort of creating that sort of direct connection and, and our first trip that we went to, we tried to organise, um, which was like March 2020, was was cancelled, and it kind of quickly became apparent. Well, I say quickly, but you know, it, it kind of became apparent that that those trips maybe won't be as, as often. I won't be spending as much time back in Uganda mm. where I, I was hoping to, to spend more time, and yeah. that was a change. And I, I guess that made yeah. us realise actually, rather than trying to like position ourselves as a company that spends half its time. Uh, in the country of origin where the coffees come from and then half its time back in the UK, let's let's focus more on, I, I guess, more traditional importer or we, we prefer the term sourcing partner, but it was it was sort of changing that focus of the of the business and and so, you know, to, that was a that was a change. But what kind of what we realised is things just sort of things had to carry on. People were still drinking mm. coffee. Uh, you you've got probably way more insight into how consumers change, but from a <laughs> from our side of working, we you know we, a lot more video calls like the rest of <laughs> the rest of the world did. You know, yeah. things moved on to WhatsApp calls, etc., rather than sort of maybe more traditional in-person um, cupping. So that, although sort of changed, I guess, like the the that the landscape, it wasn't. Um, it, it it was kind of like everybody else kind of went through with something similar. Um, Brexit has made far more challenging to to move coffee into into Europe, and. I guess what we're probably seeing is is there's like a less less desire from European roasters to to work with companies based in the UK because of the challenges of getting coffee um, out of yeah. out of the UK. You know, some of those, um, and therefore you've got to think. We we're thinking really seriously about do we put stock into a European warehouse 
which then, as you know, carries more risk and more yeah. capital required. Yeah. To, so there's there's a lot of sort of, I guess, decisions that need to be made and, and, and has you know made us focus, made us change how we how we sort of position ourselves. Um, the original idea, we wanted to be a European uh, coffee sort of importer. And, and it, I guess it's been more, much more focused towards the UK because it's just mm. easier to ship coffee once it's in the UK. So there's been yeah. like, there's been sort of lots of little changes in, in, in what we first sort of, and I guess like every business you, you set out to, to, to work in a certain way, you've got a plan of how you're going to do things. And, and these sort of th- these external influences that you can't, like you can't affect happen and you've just got to sort of adapt and go with it. And um, I guess that's what we've, what we've found with, we, we thought about the green coffee collective more because we thought yeah. with 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 Brexit, with, well, sorry, with COVID, can we get smaller amounts of coffee out to people quicker? And it was just a sort of byproduct of that, and those conversations, I guess, accelerated. So where say some ideas slowed down, other ideas sped up. I guess mm. would be sort of yeah. one of those key things. I mean, would would I think you'd really echo that from the roaster side in terms of the changes that happened? Uh, absolutely, I, I think you literally, you know. I know when we had that kind of first lockdown moment and you know the the doors to our shops were closed you know you're all it's kind of like oh my god what's happening and then you know the dust settles and you're like well you know farmers are still growing coffee people are still going to want to drink coffee so we've got to carry on in some sense so it took a you know a bit of what time to adjust and then the last kind of I can't remember how long it is now two three years it's just been like waves of different things different rules different regulations different whatever um and it's you know from a from a retail perspective it's been incredibly hard to predict what's going to happen because you're affected by so many different influences last year was so different to this one because people weren't weren't going on holiday or going abroad last year so that makes a massive difference to the high street um i'd say probably this year is probably our most normal year since pre-pandemic um but you know you know don't, don't know what's around the corner so it's uh uh, that's part of the fun of it, I suppose, <laughs> if you can call it that. Oh, and, yeah. and I, I think as well, you, you talked about the last couple of years and it's other things that have then affected it and changed. And I guess this always happens, but then you start throwing in massive market fluctuations and and currency crashes. And, and, and I guess these mm. are all sort of things that affect a business, but when you pile it all in together, it's been quite, like you called it a roller coaster. I think that's like the perfect word for it. Um, so you, you, you guess you just have to adapt. And it's, uh, one of the things that changes is I'd like to think that communication improves as a way mm. to say oh, these things are happening. We're doing our best to manage them, but you know, yeah. we, we and, and the people appreciate that. I think everyone appreciates being in the know, especially yeah. if there's something that's sort of you know moving or changing that you can't necessarily help. Absolutely. And I guess one of those things is the environment. Um, and we've obviously had the kind of really bad frost in Brazil. Um, and when I talk to our customers about the frost in Brazil affecting price of coffee elsewhere, it seems strange because it's different countries. But h- how has that frost in Brazil affected the whole kind of coffee community and particularly in Uganda? What, what's what's changed? And, and, and is there something, you know, should we be worried about the future of coffee production with environmental factors? It's it, it was really interesting. I guess I, I had very similar conversations with, as you're right, you know, it, why is the weather in one country affecting the cost price in, in another country? And ultimately, it, it drove the the price up. And I was saying to people when it first happened, like we, we you know, our prices won't change because we're paying good prices, we're paying premium prices, well above what any other person in the area is paying because we're driving quality standards, and therefore we want to get the best cherries to produce the best coffees. 
but the and, and and but on the on the flip side, we had to be sort of you also have to be price sensitive because the prices that say we're selling for were still probably not as high as we wanted because you get in coffee as as the example in question wasn't probably hitting the sort of heights that it that it kind of deserved. So we, we yeah. you know we had a price ceiling where we couldn't overprice we couldn't sort of increase the price too much because people were hesitant to be on coffee. But then what we sort of what then happened was the market kind of came up so much that those competitors, those middlemen that were buying any grade of coffee were all of a sudden starting to pay close to or similar to what we were paying. So naturally we had to put, push the prices up and, and mm. it was a, it was kind of, I guess, quite quite alarming, but also in a way a good thing. I, I, I firmly believe that farmers have benefited from a price rise and if we if the market stays, say, at the $2 per pound mark, then, then farmers are going to benefit from this. My, my worry is, I guess, if when that market comes crashing back down again, um, will we go back to where we were before of paying less for our coffee? Uh, will mm. will the roasting community and, and you know will they will they drive those prices back down because they've seen something somewhere else? And that's that's I guess uh, that's more concerning. But yes, the prices have gone up in Uganda coffee because of that effect or that knock-on effect. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because it's it's increased what the farmer. Uh, what the, the farm sort of uh, receives, and and yeah. you know the the supply chain is is complex in Uganda. And one of the reasons we're running a trip next month is because we want to showcase like buying coffee in in parts of East Africa is far more complex, arguably, than buying coffee in in Brazil, for the example. Mm-hmm. Um, there's groups of farmers that will work with a washing station that then works, then that will then maybe could sell to an exporter who could then sell to an importer. And what we're trying to show people is that those there's many stages in that supply chain. So, yeah. but because of this, the price has gone up at the, at the ground level. And I think that's a good thing, but you're right. It, what's, what's great about our role as a green coffee collective, I guess, as, as Omani is that we're, we're working B2B and, and we're not, the, it's not, we're not the only people's affected. So if we're working with you, Luke, you know, you're, you're, you, you're seeing it and understanding it from other suppliers as well. So yeah. it's, um, it has been affected. I think it's a good thing. I can't imagine the frost in Brazil are a good thing, but I think the mm. price rise and if that could stay kind of around the two dollars a pound mark for producers, I think that's a good thing. Mm. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like it's not necessarily that coffee's getting more expensive; it's that it's being charged at what it should be in the first place. And um, I always yeah. think, you know, from you know as you know i went out to columbia a couple of years ago and seeing the process from from start to finish and seeing the actual you know the amount of work that goes into picking coffee to harvesting it to getting it over to the uk for us to roast it to make it in a shop for a customer to pay under three pounds for a coffee i mean it must be the most kind of the most journey the most processed products <laughs> in the world for the actual amount you pay for it in the end because it's it's nothing really is it no exactly and you know as you say, like the amount of hands that that it goes through, it's kind of crazy in many ways. And um, I, I don't know what the solution is, or if there's. I, I don't I mean the ideal thing is people will pay more and are willing to pay more. Um, I don't know how you know how sort of viable that is. I'm unfortunately mm. not a economist, or that I'm sure there are people far more qualified to answer the question. But I think from what we're trying to sort of market and and, and do as a company and 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 pay good prices don't want to get sort of dragged into this price war of, of like of sort of being under underpriced. I think where we are right. at actually and what we're paying for the coffee, in my opinion, is is is, is really good and, and it would be a shame to see that market price come crashing back down again and, and people starting to sell lower coffee, lower price mm. coffee. 
So. Yeah, absolutely. And on that kind of topic of pricing and pricing transparency, I, I always wonder, is it, is it a good thing? Is like pricing transparency a good thing? Is it good for everyone to see how much everyone's being paid for all their, all their, all their crops, all their things, you know, in a, in a kind of traditional business world, you wouldn't want to know what your uh, local competitor is paying for, or you would want to know, but um, you could easily undercut them. So is that, is that a risk of, of pricing transparency or is it always a good thing? Yeah, when I it, it's such a good question because we we get asked about it all the time as as a company, and I I maybe don't I'm never sort of confident enough to say this, but uh, I would love to for those you know those roasters to say or those customers that ask say, do you show your breakdown to your customer? And look, one of our genuine values is that we want to show the breakdown because I think it's good to show. We you know as a as a business we we do operate we we do need to turn a, like a profit to to keep operating, and I don't think I don't think that should be. Um, hid, hidden away from or shied away from should I say um, and therefore sort of explaining and showing, showcasing what you're paying is good especially if we're tying it in with a message that we need the prices to stay like this because this is good for the farmer I think that's when price and transparency can be a very good thing um, to, to your point yeah I think if, we, if we're going to sort of carry that on it, it, it should be it should be further up the supply chain as well um, mm. and, and I think as well but, but on the on the flip side if if people want to sort of conceal their prices, that's that's completely their prerogative. If you're a you know a coffee roaster or a cafe, like you might not want to show, like you might want to keep those to yourself, and that and that's absolutely fine as well. So I kind of see both sides to it, and and we've taken the view as a company that let's just sort of throw, like put our cards on the table. We've actually got nothing to hide, and and if someone wants to call us out as such or 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 ask a question, it it provokes such a great conversation, um, and and I don't think you know what this kind of how we sort of price our coffees, what we would charge to operate as a company is something that we to be embarrassed about. So I'm quite confident that what we're doing is we're doing it the right way, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. I also don't think that's bad for the farmer as well. I think if, if, if you're a farmer and you're getting paid $5 a kilo, but your friend down the road is getting paid $6 a kilo, it's a great conversation to have with your buyer and say, well, why is our coffee less? Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. It, it, it can... It's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's many industries that you don't. We, people would keep it complete to themselves. There, so their cost of their cost of goods. It's, it seems to be. It seems to be in the industry that we're in mm. that it's an acceptable thing to ask. Um, and I haven't quite worked out why. I, I'd like to think it's because people care, mm. but it's not. It, it, it's different, isn't it? I think so, and I think it's probably like from a as you get closer to the end consumer it probably becomes a bit more uncomfortable to start talking about how much you're paying for things because as a roaster we're charging you know circa 20 pound wholesale for a kilo of coffee um and when you compare that to what the farmer's getting paid it almost feels like a little bit more uncomfortable because there's such a big margin in between and obviously that you know you've got to take into consideration everything happens during that process and you know the margins we're operating on and i think that can be sometimes a little bit there's so much there, isn't there, for consumers to take in about what, you know, the steps of the journey that coffee takes to get to your cup. Um, it's it's almost quite a lot to take in. And I think that's probably why you see a much more reluctance towards the end consumer than you do at your level where you're kind of talking directly to the farmers and, um, and encouraging them to get paid more um, in that sense. So uh, no, it's, it's 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 absolutely so interesting. What do you think? You know, how much of a connection do you think there is between producers and consumers? And do you think there's any more that roasters and coffee shops can do to kind of bridge that gap a little bit more? 
it's 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 such a good it's such an interesting one because I think um, like I was thinking about this uh, not so long ago. There are many industries where it's 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 so you know you wouldn't necessarily have a, a relationship with where your product comes from. And I, like in the coffee industry, there seems to be this desire for for the producers and the and the consumers to, to have a connection. I think that's great. Like I think it's it's absolutely fantastic because a lot a lot of good can come from it if you've got those. Um, and, and that good can be all sorts of things, whether it's like new ideas about processing or can we can we sort of circle off a certain lot. And and that and, and those conversations are fantastic. But I mean, and at the same time, I think and and, and, again, and what I was going to say is that probably de- that depends on the organisation. Some people are super interested; they want to know the the name of the farmer, the farmer's daughter and son, um, the farmer's partner. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think that's mm. that's lovely. But then on the flip side, like it doesn't. If, if that doesn't sort of appeal to you as a, as a roaster, you just want to find a really nice product and trust the import you're working with to bring it in. That's that's also fine. So I kind of guess what I'm trying to say is like it, it depends on, in my opinion, that like, you know on on the on the sort of the consumer um, and what they want. And and like I say, you, you probably don't. There's many things that we buy or or use within the industry or within shops or within the roastery that you mm. don't have a relationship with that producer, whether it's your takeaway cups that are manufactured in a factory in 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 china that's that's far more transactional but for some beautiful reason in coffee we there seems to be a desire to for those connections to happen and i think that's uh like i think that's a good thing and 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 it can grow and 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 and, the knock-on effect is great and and you talk about say education that yeah if if you've got those conversations going it it trickles down the supply chain so that consumers know why is their price of a flat white gone from three pounds up to three pounds fifty it it all ties in and and it's it's not going to necessarily make any major changes overnight, but the more those conversations are going to happen, and I think it's only a good thing. Absolutely, and 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 when you're working with good people, you've got those reasons behind you, and you can you can talk about them with confidence. And I think that's the really important thing because um, you know I I know from our own experience, we see lots of pictures of coffee farms and farmers on on. Uh, at origin and we use them on our website and sometimes it makes you know you feel like oh i don't i don't even know i don't know these people but it's in the confidence that we're working with great people i think there's a risk that some people can use it in a not in a negative way but almost it's a bit kind of greenwashing isn't it in 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 some circumstances but i think the important thing is working with with people like yourselves and and getting a product and knowing that you've got the confidence behind you to use this these resources um, and know where it's coming from and, and I think it's that point exactly, and, and you kind of work with like-minded people. We, we we naturally, as humans, gravitate to people that are say similar or share similar interests, and and therefore we you know we work with roasters a lot. And a lot of our customers are people that 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 want to know more, and, and we love that. But we also mm. do have customers that just want a coffee at a certain price, at a certain quality. And I also think that's absolutely okay as well, providing uh, to your point, they're not doing the greenwashing thing. Mm. Um, and and, and, and and you know and everyone's different and and therefore the you know as that sort of trickles down the chain you're going to naturally work with wholesale partners that want to know more about where the coffee comes from they're not necessarily they're not super price sensitive they're more quality and and like the, the ethical sense of the coffee is, is more important to them and therefore they're going to get that information from you because hopefully you're working with people like myself who, who will then supply that information and I think yeah. that's important. You know, it shouldn't be if you work in coffee, you need to have a relationship and, and know exactly where your products are coming from. If that doesn't fit with what you're trying to achieve as a business, and, and that's also okay. I think that's what I'm, um, I think about quite often. 
Yeah, absolutely. So what does the um, future bring for, for coffee farming and what's the kind of biggest threats that are facing uh, farmers at the moment? <laughs> I, I, you know, I try not to, I try not to go down a, a rabbit hole because I think it's such a, <laughs> um, it's, it, oh gosh, I think from a future perspective, I think technology's got to really start kicking in soon. Um, and, and to the point about education and, and, and the connection between roasters and producers, I think for one, um, technology can play that, that role and making that connection easier. And even, I mean, I talk about that, but even things as simple as like WhatsApp being able to connect and, and share mm. photos, that's that's using technology. Uh, and But I think it can play a much bigger role in that transparency and, and that supply chain um, and helping from an education perspective. So I think if we can start sort of using technology more, I think it could have a, an impact. And, and, and that technology doesn't have to be purely in communication or transparency. It can also be in, you know, it can probably uh, using technology to like improve quality control, looking at say the the breakdown of a coffee bean and how we can can we do something to, to make this coffee even better I think technology can have a an impact in there I just don't know where that sits at the moment I guess it's not something mm. I'm, I'm focused on but I, I hope we see more and more innovation towards that and people using technology to, to improve the quality and therefore improve the prices that farmers can sort of potentially attain from from their coffee as well yeah. as bridging gaps um, the, the threats. I, I'm not an expert on this, but you could you could easily sort of throw out the, the climate sort of climate change. Uh, it's a big threat. Something I, I see in or have seen and, and witnessed firsthand in Uganda and, and Burundi and, and Rwanda is is there's there doesn't there seems to be a sort of aging population of coffee farmers. And I've always thought I'd love to I, I'd love to start projects which sort of encourage the next generation of younger people into coffee farming. Um, the challenge is in, in some of those countries as mentioned land gets split up between bigger families and therefore there's less land to farm and therefore the, the money involved in coffee becomes less and less in, in those certain areas and um, I think that's something that could that's I'd love to be able to to help support I know in, in, in Uganda one of the projects is like coffee youth teams and, and getting younger people mm. into understanding about agriculture because it can have a massive impact and change mm. but um, you still see the younger people leaving to bigger towns and cities looking for work and it seems to be the the older generation that are still farming yeah i saw we saw exactly the same thing in colombia when we were out there and that same thing that people you know the younger generations can go to the city they can get paid more and they don't have to work so hard to be fair and um you can see why that's a route that people are taking and it's interesting because i was talking to, on a previous podcast to d from hinkston dairy um local dairy farmer and they're having exactly the same issues in the uk where you know younger people aren't wanting to get into farming because there's more more interesting more attractive um better paid better hours jobs out there um than that so it's it's a it's a kind of global issue i suppose isn't it definitely and, and, and i get it because the some of the work that has to be carried out in coffee farming is that you say it's really tough and, and i don't blame a lot of people for not say wanting to take down that route because the, the the risk is high and the reward can potentially be very low or low yielding in, in some instances so how how that changes I, I don't have the answers to it um i wish i did but it's something that i kind of i see and look up and think wow i wish you know i, I wish this was more appealing to the next generation or how can mm. we make this more so um, the one of the companies within the green coffee collective Kata, she works with a number of younger farmers and i think one of the things she does very well is like I say, exposed, but she sort of 
you know, through Instagram, through those connections that we mentioned earlier, um, people see them and want to work with them because they're similar ages and they've mm. got good mm. ideas and they're innovative and that's really powerful. And, and I hope that, you know, more people sort of see that and go, yeah, I can get into coffee farming. I can do something different. I can make an impact. Um, we've started working with a washing station called Ramatamu in, in Rwanda. And we're super excited because the, the owner, the current owner wants to hand over the station to his daughter now husband and they they are really excited about sort of coming in with new bright ideas and how can they improve the washing station and grow coffee producing in the in the in the community but these examples like Ramatamu and say some of Katz's producers are kind of few and far between and, and, and how to bridge that gap I, I don't know. I don't have the answer, unfortunately. I wish yeah. I yeah. I wonder if it's like, it's interesting if you could look at it like how we can connect that kind of polished specialty cafe side to the roast, to, to the producers and seeing if like, you know, I always kind of have this like idea of bringing a, a cafe to origin and, and, tr- and barista training people who work on the farms and getting them involved and, you know, almost doing some like sensory work and some dialing in and, yeah, connect like connecting the circle almost so it kind of shows the impact that it's making um and they can see how you know how valued their their products are and their product you know so. i'm sure that and these it's there's i don't think there's one thing that will make the change but i i do think like the sort of some of those little parts could and and yeah the, the more that the communication sort of works both ways from farm to to end consumer and back again and, and realizing that Say you as a farmer, as a producer, your no names out there on mm. on bags, retail coffee or whatever, can have a can be powerful. And, and if the sort of the reward sort of rises with that as well, then maybe we can see more of a sort of change. But I think there's a lot, there's a long way to go. Yeah. And, and yeah, to, to get to that stage first. <laughs> sure. So were you going to be? Are you going to be exploring any new uh, markets or new origins in the in the coming years? I think what's interesting and and, and it, taking you back to one of your first questions about. Omwani and, and, and I guess one of the sort of knock-on effects of, of COVID and not being able to travel and we the focus was going to be we're going to be a, we're going to focus on, on marketing Ugandan coffee and trading it transparently as possible and, um, and sort of busting myths on the supply chain and what we realised was that whilst the operation in Uganda is truly special and and I absolutely love those coffees there are many other like-minded aspiring washing stations in East Africa um, and, and we kind of realized that we like working with washing stations that are similar to us. They're, they're small in size and, and, and aren't necessarily well known in the, in the I guess, the, the industry. So how can we build each other up? So we quite like working with washing stations mm. um, that, you know, in, in, in countries. And, and our focus is always East Africa or, or Africa. I, we'll never start selling coffees from outside of Africa. Money's, that's its focus. Um, so we, we are constantly looking and we... We're trying to build out uh, an offer on our website where like producers can reach out to us. We, we want to be approachable to work with people that fit our values and, and, and those values are kind of simple. Like we, we want to work together. We want to be open and honest and transparent. So, and, and, and if we can make it happen, let's do this year on year. So we've got, we're in conversation with a couple of producers in Tanzania. Um, I'd love to, to bring across some Tanzanian coffees, but I guess our focus is always on those sort of lesser known producers, lesser known countries that we've, uh, I've not been to Ethiopia in, in, in a long time um, and I would love to, you know, how great would it be to have Ethiopian coffees because they really are special and, yeah. and lovely, but it's not a focus because there's so many other companies that import and, and have those coffees. So I guess mm. when we when we explore the markets and origins, it's looking at 
uh, I get, yeah, people like ourselves that we that we feel sort of match our values and and probably in lesser well known areas. So we we've been piloting a little project in Madagascar where we've been buying yeah Madagascar and fully washed coffees, and it's really small volumes, and we'd love to like ramp that up. Um, mm. It's really much more of a challenge, and I guess when you're not on the ground, you're relying on stakeholders in country. Um, yeah. But we, we want to champion that. We've so, said we'll buy a coffee if we can, if we can, if you can produce it. And we'll we'll work out how to get it across, and 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 we kind of keep that sort of mindset with other other groups, other origins, other other countries. So there's there's nothing there's nothing sort of I guess at the moment that I can. I can put a finger on, or like, there's no, there's, apart from saying Tanzania and and a, mm. a small cooperative in the north of Malawi, um, but in t- that's kind of how we we sort of approach it. There's it's, it's, there's a bit of a mishmash, and I guess if there's a if there's a washing station or a producer that that has contacts and sells to well-established importers or roasters, it's not that we wouldn't work with them, but it's we kind of I guess gravitate towards the the plucky underdog. I guess that's yeah. probably <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> oh fantastic well unfortunately you can't make this year's kent coffee festival because you're in uh sunny it'll be sunny uganda or is it <laughs> sunny when you're going to be going yeah no it's sunny but it's also rainy season so we'll probably have hopefully about you know maybe an hour of rain a day um yeah some days might be worse but it's so yeah, no. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not going to be uh, around this year. Yeah, <laughs> but why do you? I mean, but uh, yeah. Now, obviously, we're grateful for your support, supporting this podcast. Um, but but what do you think is important about regional coffee festivals? Um, we've all been to the big, you know, LCF, and and you know, just a kind of bear pit of everything going on. Um, but what do you think is important about regional coffee festivals? Yeah, first and foremost, they're just they're fantastic. Every I've I've made a point to try and get to every regional festival and, and they seem to be popping up all over the place and first of all they're just fantastic places to be because everyone's in great moods everyone's loving trying new coffees and and, and i just think it's from that that perspective alone like it's fantastic to see people turning up going oh this might be interesting you know a day out and and then they are blown away by the quality of coffee that they're tasting but also seeing other like you know small businesses in the in the area um so i think from that perspective call it community if you will but just sort of people's exploring and realizing sort of small local businesses and tying that in with the coffee is is fantastic to see um and, and I, i'm hoping that more and more of these pop up because the more people that are understanding and, and learning about specialty coffee and are picking say a lovely coffee from the local roaster as opposed to maybe just a, a, you know a pot of instant coffee from the supermarket i think makes a, a big difference and it's i guess it's like these these little shows where people discover that and have that light bulb moment which majority of people in the specialty industry have had where they go wow this is something really exciting or really nice so i mean first of all like i said they're great days out and and they're really good fun and there's always lovely people there to meet and and and, uh, it's nice to see businesses sort of working together and 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 talk about collaboration earlier you know having those conversations but also yeah seeing people explore and 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 taste coffee and it's they're they're wholesome aren't they And, and, Mm. and that's not the reason why i like them but i just think the more they happen and the more they pop up and it becomes a thing where people are enjoying their coffee more and, and it's it's good for the specialty industry what what, what about yourself Luke? i mean obviously you're, you're one of the founders of of, of, of coffee festival that <laughs> like you must have seen there must be some sort of real i don't know you must be seeing some tangible things happening just from this is the second year of it running right yeah absolutely i think for me it was i think from i mean we started I started a garage in 2015 and like 
from that point, we've seen so many different roasters and, and uh, people open up around us, which it's been incredible. And I think, you know, often you know, people ask, oh, it's, you know, is that a threat? Is there something, you know, that, you know, it must be a bit nervy when other people are opening. And I don't see it like that because you want more people doing the same thing around you because it, the, the market we operate in in specialty is so small still. You know, if you walk down any high street, there's probably, you know, 40, 50 places you can get a coffee, but probably only one or two that might be any good. And I think like we want to address that balance and the more people getting into specialty coffee and roasting good coffee and drinking good coffee, the better for the industry altogether. So, um, you know, I really welcome it. And that's why I love coffee festivals as well, because you get there and you can try, you know, where else can you go in a room and try, you know, 15 different coffees all in one, if you, if you can do it and if you don't crash before then, um, but <laughs> that's why you should come for the weekend. But if you, uh, you know, where else can you do that? And, and, and just, you know, as you said, the community is all about it. And that's everything we've been talking about, to be fair, it all comes back to that community and the difference it makes every step of the way. And um, whether it is at Origin or whether it's your local coffee shop or whether it's your supplier you're, you're buying roasted coffee from, yeah, it's all that community. And, and anyone who works in the industry who loves coffee and is interested in it will be able to talk to you for you know like we've done for 45 minutes whatever and just talk about so much about it and we've really only kind of scratched the surface so um i think they're really exciting and i think it's nice to do something outside of london as well um it's nice to make specialty coffee accessible to people in different areas of the country because it can seem if anyone's been to lcf um at all but especially if you've been for the first time you'll know that it's it's very daunting it's incredible but it's very daunting so for new people getting into it, you know, I think I think they sh they're only a good thing. So, <laughs> so uh, definitely, yeah. no, it's, so. it's great to see them at. Like, yeah, more of them pop up. Um, I, I joke about it with with the guys at Owen, but I'd love to one day help sort of get your coffee festival going. I think it would be a really cool thing to to have for the for the region for the area. And that's obviously where Oromani's based. We're up in New York, so uh, so yeah. So it's it, it we'll we'll definitely have some more conversations offline because yeah. i'm perhaps pick your brains about <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> perfect oh well thank you so much for your time james it's been really interesting i really enjoyed that and uh yeah well thank you for joining us and i'll see you soon no thank you luke it's been awesome to chat and uh, we'll, we'll catch up soon A massive thank you to James Wilkinson there from Omwani Coffee and the Green Coffee Collective. Um, fantastic catching up with James. Um, been a pleasure to work with him over the last few years, but uh, it's really always a pleasure to kind of hear a bit more about the journey um, beyond um, what, we, what we kind of experienced in drinking a cup of coffee. And I think the more we can do to connect people actually drinking their coffee with uh, what's happening in Origin is, is, is amazing. So thank you to him. And thank you to uh, the Green Coffee Collective for sponsoring this podcast. I think um, he, he so eloquently summed up what they're doing and what, what good they do. So, uh, yeah, do check them out. And also, um, do check out the Kent Coffee Festival. If you're um, looking for something to do this November, uh, 19th and 20th of November at Dreamland in Margate, um, come along. We've got talks. We've got an exhibition. We've got espresso martinis. If you love Kent, if you love coffee and if you love festivals, it is the place to be. Have a great week and I will catch you on next week's podcast. See you soon.